0: Welcome to Base Liberty, your source for politics. The government is way too big, way too intrusive. We are overtaxed. History. The right to self-defense is a natural, God-given right. The founders clearly understood this. Economics. We can't just keep printing off money. We can't just keep borrowing money. If you think this path is sustainable, then I've got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. And more. From a liberty perspective. I've got to disagree with you there. The income tax is clearly immoral. Because it assumes you don't own the fruit of your labor, the government. Does. With your host, Darren Wisely. Deregulation and decentralization are the answers if we're ever going to get this thing back on track. We need to look to families, churches, and charities, not the state. Welcome to Base Liberty, Episode 5. Darren Wisely here. Thanks for tuning in. Today is Wednesday, August 19th, 2020. It's my sister Haley's 21st birthday, oh boy, and also it is my boy Tyler Conrad and his amazing wife Julie's 4th anniversary. So it's a pretty big day, but still, unlike Congress, hard at work, here for you to bring you a show I'm very excited about, and I received so much great feedback on yesterday's episode, a lot of people saying it was the best one yet, everyone can't be the best one. So I don't know if I'll be able to outdo that or not, but I'm really pumped for today's episode as well. People have said that, man, I didn't learn anything about Lysander Spooner in school. And same here, all K through 12 didn't hear his name mentioned once. Unless you were homeschooled, you probably didn't hear anything about him either. And there's probably a reason for that. It's real fun to get outside the box of the Schoolhouse Rock version of history and talk about these really interesting and really important Figures and topics. So, with that being said, today's topic is federalism in the 10th Amendment, specifically how we can use nullification to increase liberty here in 2020 and beyond. I think it's real interesting that federalism was brought up by the liberal Democrats in response to Trump's handling of COVID. Now, They don't ever mention the Constitution, let alone the 10th Amendment. It's funny how they will try to twist the Constitution to anything they want to try to get their agenda through. I'm happy that President Trump didn't give in to what a lot of people were wanting him to do because, of course, the federal government has no role. The states are the ones that are supposed to handle this according to the Constitution. He had Dr. Fauci, Burks, these career government bureaucrats who are trying to get him to cave in, and I'm glad he went with his gut, and his gut usually is right, but the problem is President Trump a lot of times is his own worst enemy, surrounding himself by swamp creatures like Fauci, and even on foreign policy, his gut's usually right, but he's got a ton of swamp creatures in there, just like John Bolton, glad to see him leave, but President Trump hired him in the first place. Now, in his defense, there's not a lot of others to choose from because you've had these bureaucratic swamp creature or part of the establishment in there for decades. That I'm glad he didn't cave in to those demands One, because we all know if Hillary Clinton were president or if Sleepy Joe were president, we'd have a complete shutdown and things would be even worse. Turning to the topic of nullification, we'll need to set the table with a little bit of history. A lot of people don't really think about state sovereignty here in 2020 because our federal government is so big. States are kind of seen as this kind of lower subset because the federal government is so involved in our everyday lives. In reality, that's not how the United States was founded at all. And once you get in that history, it's very clear to see that we had 13 sovereign states enter into a compact, to serve a common purpose, but not to give up their right to self-government. And Since Thomas Jefferson, when he wrote letters, he talked about his love for his country. His country is not the United States of America. His country he was referring to was Virginia. For the reason they were called states, Virginia was seen the same as France or Italy, a sovereign state, not something inferior to a larger nation. It's very clear when you look at the Constitutional Convention. It basically, had two competing factions. You had the Anti-Federalist Republicans, who were actually Federalists. They wanted a decentralized system with state sovereignty. And then you had the Federalists, who were actually Nationalists, who wanted a strong central system. James Madison at this time was a very strong Federalist. Worth noting, a lot of people referred to him as the father of the Constitution. And that description doesn't really make a lot of sense, because almost none of his ideas at the Philadelphia Convention made it into the Constitution and he left there being very disappointed it's more reasonable to call him the unhappy stepfather for instance in the virginia plan recommendation for a federal veto over state laws was not of course adopted in the constitution but that shows you how big of a nationalist he was at that time now his views change over the course of his life some people call him a flip flopper very interesting he's a very new probably the most nuanced and the most differentiated in views as he goes through the course of his life of any of the Founding Fathers. So, very much worth reading into on your own time, if that interests you. In the Constitutional Convention, you have this debate over how much power the federal government's going to have. And notice it's called a federal government, not a national government, and that's for a reason. Virginia was the biggest player in the Constitutional Convention because they were a powerhouse at the time. Virginia included... Not only Virginia as we know it today, but also most of Kentucky, it also had George Washington, who had just been the military leader in the American Revolution, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, so many key political leaders came out of Virginia. Virginia is also really interesting because it was the most split state in terms of Federalists and Republicans. Notable Federalists like George Washington and James Madison, and then some notable Republicans such as Patrick Henry and George Mason. During this time, Thomas Jefferson was overseas as minister to France, and he wrote Madison saying everyone at the convention was a bunch of demigods. One of the key issues that started to come up was having a Bill of Rights. Now, the Republicans really wanted a Bill of Rights because They were very, very skeptical about the central government, about how much power it would have, about how it'd abuse its power and trample over states' powers and individual liberty. A big government federalist didn't think a Bill of Rights was necessary, and they argued, well, if we write these rights down, then people are gonna think these are the only rights you have. The Republicans didn't see it that way. They saw it as a guarantee, okay, if we're gonna enter in this contract, we want a few things up front that we know we're gonna have. Addison eventually got on board with the Bill of Rights, knowing that this is probably the only way this constitution and this new federal government was gonna work out. He wrote Thomas Jefferson about it, and Thomas Jefferson said, "Well, half a loaf is better than none." Edmund Randolph, Virginia's governor, was kind of in the middle between the Federalists and Anti-Federalists. He kind of brokered them together to get Virginia on board to ratify the Constitution. Patrick Henry would not sign to this Constitution, and he is very skeptical of the federalists and said he smelt a rat at the convention so as you know we do enter into this compact and we do have the bill of rights which are the first 10 amendments to the united states constitution this whole episode is just a very small microcosm to show you about what state sovereignty really was at this time and it wasn't just one big nation it really was sovereign states working with a co-equal federal government notable for this episode Talking about nullification and how we can use it to fight for liberty, the 10th Amendment says that all powers not delegated to the federal government or prohibited to the states are reserved for the states or the people. So, this makes it very clear if the Constitution doesn't give the federal government that power, then it is reserved for the states, which just shows how almost everything the federal government is in nowadays. Is unconstitutional. Now the courts have screwed it, the politicians, and that could be a whole nother episode about how they've used the Commerce Clause, the General Welfare Clause, the necessary and proper clause to make The federal government do whatever it wants, but the 10th Amendment was for the very reason to limit that and let things be done on the state level. The 9th Amendment also adds to this point about rights not coming from government, but rights being natural, God-given, that exists as part of your humanity, because it basically says that... Just because rights aren't in the Bill of Rights doesn't mean you don't have them. It makes the point clear that there are other rights out there. They were not going off the English model where, okay, government gives you these rights, here's what they are. No, no, you have God-given rights that pre-exist any government. And the purpose of government is for one thing only, and that is to protect your rights. There's always going to be the actually supremacy clause crowd. So we do have the supremacy clause, but that only refers to government acting within its constitutional powers. So if it's acting in an area that the Constitution allows it, well, yeah, it is supreme law. But if it's acting in an area it's not allowed to be acting, it can't be supreme. That wouldn't even make any sense. This whole notion that the United States isn't a federal system with state sovereignty is something that a 12-year-old with an internet connection could debunk very quickly. Now that we kind of have the backdrop through the Constitutional Convention and the ratification, let's turn now to some examples and how it's been used throughout history to protect liberty. Anytime you talk about state sovereignty, what a a lot of people call states' rights, which states don't really have rights, individuals do, states have powers. Anytime you mention state sovereignty, people say, you're a right backwards neo Confederate rube. You probably want slavery. That's just such an asinine, low level understanding of federalism. Here's the truth bomb for these people the Tenth Amendment and federalism and nullification have been used to protect liberty, not to usurp it. It's usually the federal government taking away liberty. And the state saying, no, 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 you've gone too far. You've breached. Now, they haven't done it enough, but they say you've breached the powers granted to you by the Constitution. We're not going along with it. So with that in mind, we'll turn to 1798. John Adams is president. The big government federalists are in control. They pass the Alien and Sedition Act, which makes it a crime to criticize the federal government. So you can't criticize the president. The Congress, oh, but there's one notable exception. You can criticize the vice president. At the time, Thomas Jefferson is the vice president, the Republican leader, the opposition party, because at that time, presidents weren't elected the way they are now, where you have, say, the Biden-Harris ticket. Whoever comes in first was the president. Whoever came in second got vice president. So that's why you have the Adams-Jefferson in office at this time. So they pass these clearly unconstitutional laws. People are literally fined and thrown in jail for criticizing the policies of John Adams and other members of the federal government. One was Matthew Lyon who was a congressman who made these remarks on the floor of Congress criticizing John Adams. He was fined $1,000 and thrown in jail for four months. After he was released from jail, he went right back to working in Congress. The response to these clearly tyrannical and unconstitutional measures was the Kentucky and Virginia Resolutions of 1798 and 1799. Principles of 98, as we call them, can teach us a lot today, and this is something we can really use to try to advance liberty in our lifetime. Kentucky and Virginia Resolutions are some of the best documents in american history take them out read them they're just so they're so beautiful really captures that american spirit of standing up for liberty standing up to tyranny james madison was behind virginia's thomas jefferson in kentucky james madison said that states have a duty to interpose when the federal government acts unconstitutionally both the virginia and kentucky resolutions said that nullification is the rightful remedy when the federal government oversteps its bounds and acts unconstitutionally. The thing about this is these states entered into a compact, and it's just like if you enter into a contract with someone, if one person doesn't hold up their end of the bargain, then you're not obligated to stay in that contract. If you and I make a deal, I'm going to pay you to mow my lawn, You don't end up mowing my lawn, I don't still have to pay you, you're in breach of the contract. Well, it's the same thing. The state's agreed to a certain contract to create this federal government, if the federal government doesn't hold up their end, the state doesn't have to stay in it. And that's exactly the rationale they use, and it makes total sense... But people will say, oh, a secessionist, you must like slavery. Well, there's more to it than that. I want to add another analogy, and it shows the whole reason the federal government has been able to get away with anything it wants, pretty much, throughout our history, is because we take this for granted now, but the Supreme Court decided in 1803 in Marbury v. Madison that it was going to have the final say and determine what's constitutional or not. Well, how does that make any sense? The Supreme Court is part of the federal government. So that would be like if you and I got into an argument and I said, you know how we'll solve it? I'll have my grandmother be the judge. Well, my grandmother's a wonderful woman and she's pretty fair, but there might be a little bias, you know, or or say if uh, Michigan and Ohio State are playing football, if we ever have sports again, and, oh yeah, by the way, all the refs are Ohio State alumni. How fair of a game is that gonna be? Well, that's exactly how this played out. So you wonder why the states never win in any of these cases. The federal government gets bigger. And Thomas Jefferson feared federal courts would be a rubber stamp for everything Congress did. And by golly, was he right. How many of Thomas Jefferson's fears about government came true? I mean, someday I'm gonna compile a list because it's crazy. It's like he's a fortune teller. The Kentucky and Virginia resolutions did have a big impact moving forward. In the 18th, century, Thomas Jefferson and the Republicans took over. Jefferson is president, and Republicans won in Congress, and they had a large reign for a long time, and a lot of that had to do with just the complete overreach of the John Adams administration and the Federalists. So The Kentucky and Virginia resolutions were referenced in some other attempts at nullification. Massachusetts, Connecticut, and... Use them to protest the embargo act of 1807 which they saw as unconstitutional by the federal government. Massachusetts and Connecticut also did this in 1812 when the federal government told them to send their militias out to the east coast to fight the British. They said no 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 we don't have to do that if we don't agree with this war. Moving on this is probably the most notable now again you're racist backwards and love slaves if you support states rights right? Well, let's use this example. One of the biggest times in American history that nullification was used was in response to the Fugitive Slave Acts by the North. The Fugitive Slave Acts allowed people from the South to go up to the North and go after slaves who had escaped. Are slave catchers? I don't think so. So they nullified these federal laws by not participating in this. The Supreme Court upheld the Fugitive Slave Acts, which once again just shows how unconstitutional they are and how the Supreme Court rarely ever protects liberty. It almost always takes away our rights and makes the federal government bigger. Great story of that is of Joshua Glover. Now, he was a slave in St. Louis. He didn't even have a last name because no slaves had last names because that would humanize them. In 1852... Glover decided to put behind and leave everything he knew and escape from St. Louis to Wisconsin where he could be free. He lived there for two years until a friend of his decided that money was more important than freedom and sold out Glover to federal marshals who then arrested Glover to bring him back down to the South where he would once again be a slave. People of Wisconsin did not take a liking to this and locals gathered together broke Glover out of the jail he was being held at in Wisconsin and helped him escape to Canada where he could certainly be free. Sherman Booth, one of the abolitionists that helped Glover escape, was arrested for violating these Fugitive Slave Acts. Wisconsin even went as far to not turn any paperwork or documents over to the Supreme Court just in showing how against this they were. It just goes to show you how the Supreme Court cannot be trusted to preserve liberty or rein in federal authority. So another great example of nullification being used when the federal government oversteps its constitutional authority is in the Prince case. In 1993, President Clinton signed the Brady Bill into law, which was a series of restrictions on firearm purchases, including background checks. Second Amendment clearly says the federal government has no business in this arena, shall not be infringed. I'm not sure what's so hard to understand about that, but the founders clearly didn't want the federal government involved regulating guns. All federal gun laws are unconstitutional. Now, at the state level, that's up to the state constitutions, but it's it's abundantly clear the federal government has no business regulating firearms. Several county sheriffs throughout the United States had the courage to, to take on the federal government and do what's right. We need a lot more of that in today's society. Notably, Sheriff Prince in Missouri and Sheriff Richard Mack in Arizona said they were not going to be compelled to follow these clearly unconstitutional federal actions. This is one of the few cases the Supreme Court actually got right. The Supreme Court said that the federal government cannot command state officials to follow their orders. Justice Clarence Thomas notably said that these firearms were sold purely intrastate, so the federal government cannot use the Commerce Clause to regulate these things, as the federal government likes to do, in, is they use the Commerce Clause, and that they've twisted that to make the federal government able to do so much of what it does today, and we'll get to more on that in a second. We'll turn to... Do it again, please. Stay off the weed! It's stay off... The weed. Any of you know, marijuana is illegal at the federal level, both for medicinal and recreational use. Now, many states have allowed it for one or both of these purposes. My home state of Michigan made marijuana legal for recreational use in 2018. Angel Rach lived a very miserable life, and it's not because she lived in California. It's because she had a very rare, unique medical condition this condition had her losing a pound a day she was in 24 7 severe chronic pain she worked with her doctors and there was nothing she could do about her condition 1996 california had legalized marijuana for recreational purposes and angel rach eventually grew marijuana in her own yard for medicinal purposes Marijuana ended up being the only thing Angel Rach could use to alleviate her pain, and it was helping her keep her weight, and it significantly improved the quality of her life. Of course, the federal government has to say, I don't think so. In this case, the federal government used the Commerce Clause to say that Angel Rach couldn't grow marijuana in her own home for personal use to try to make her life a little better. I think it's disgusting that power is so much more important than an actual person's well-being. And Clarence Thomas notably dissented, and I'm paraphrasing, Angel Rach grew a plant in her own backyard. Nothing was ever bought or sold. Nothing ever crossed state lines. Yet the federal government used the Commerce Clause to regulate it. If that's the case, then Congress has the authority to regulate quilting bees, garage sales, and church bake sales. Literally nothing Congress can't regulate using the Commerce Clause with this rationale. Clarence Thomas said this is a complete mockery of the 10th Amendment, and I couldn't agree with him more. It's very interesting that the Attorneys General signed on to Angel Rach's side in the states of Alabama, Mississippi and Louisiana, three very conservative states. Look, I wouldn't want to be caught with a joint in Alabama, but this just shows how these states put principle ahead of their policy preferences because they knew the federal government has no business in this arena. It's also interesting that the liberals claim to be for marijuana legalization, but the one thing they love much more than that is power. And President Barack Obama took office, he enforced marijuana laws more than Clinton and W. Bush before him. In his first term, doubled the enforcement of federal marijuana laws than Clinton and Bush had put together combined. President Reagan had a very good point on federalism. He said, federalism is this idea that you can vote with your feet. And that's exactly correct. This is regardless of whether, how you feel about marijuana. The idea is if the federal government was out of all these areas it doesn't belong in, then you could vote with your feet. If you don't like marijuana, go to a state that doesn't allow it. If you do, go to one that does. If you like big government and high taxes, go to California and New York. But the idea that a central government is going to regulate 365 million people with a very wide ranging variety of beliefs and ideology is just absurd. Recent phenomenon in the nullification movement is the push for sound money. Article 1, Section 10 of the United States Constitution says that the states shall only allow gold and silver as legal tender. Now, the Federal Reserve just keeps printing off money, and I won't get too far into that because that could be a totally different episode. If you want to hear one on the Federal Reserve, let me know. I'd love to do one. Federal Reserve just keeps devaluing our dollar. It's not backed by gold and silver. It's fiat money. Not backed by anything. So in response to the complete debasement of our currency, in 2011, Utah was the first state in modern times to legalize gold and silver as legal tender. Wyoming and Oklahoma have also done the same. In 2018, the state of Texas opened up gold bullion depositories. 2018, Wyoming also passed legislation that was very friendly to cryptocurrency. I'm sure you're familiar with the crypto movement, such as Bitcoin, which is another way to fight against the way our currency is being devalued every single day by the federal government. The only way we're going to keep what liberty we have is being willing to put everything on the line. The Declaration of Independence ends that we pledge our lives, our sacred fortunes, and our honor. That gives me chills just thinking about it. These people weren't bums off the streets. Antifa thugs who said, you know, my life kind of sucks. Maybe we'll just try to start a revolution and see where the chips fall. It can't get any worse. These people were wealthy, politically connected, almost aristocrats. They believed in the cause of liberty so much that they're willing to put their lives, their livelihoods, their wealth, everything they had. If we don't have people here in the United States today, willing to do the same, what we're going to leave to our kids is going to be nothing. It might be a communist state. It's going to be tyrannical. There's going to be no freedom if we aren't willing to put that on the line. Now, I hope it doesn't come to bloodshed. I'm not saying it will. But you have to be ready for that. You have to say, I might lose everything I got. I might be thrown in jail. I might be killed. If we don't have people out there willing to do that, we're not going to have liberty and there's going to be nothing for your children. And it would be a shame if we pissed away everything the founders gave us. So just keep that in mind. Hey, thanks for listening. I just want to give some credits here because I don't just make this stuff up off the top of my head. The idea for this episode was based on a book right back here Nullification How to Resist Federal Tyranny in the 21st Century by Dr. Thomas E. Woods. He's also got. A lot of other great books, I listen to his podcast pretty much daily, The Tom Woods Show. Highly recommend checking that out. Dr. Kevin R.C. Gutzman is probably my favorite historian on the founding, and he's got a book on Madison, on Jefferson. He wrote a book with Tom Woods, Who Killed the Constitution? He also wrote The Politically Incorrect Guide to the Constitution, which is an awesome book. And The Tenth Amendment Center, if you want to learn about the Constitution, this is the premier resource where i've learned so much from michael bolden started this in 2006 mike mahari is another great guy there i mean these guys are committed to getting the federal government out of all the unconstitutional things that it does and there's just so many great resources i'm a proud member there you can be one too for as low as two dollars a month highly recommend I'm sure you got $2 sitting around somewhere. Find some quarters under your couch or something. Get involved because these guys are doing some awesome work for our republic. Another good one, too, is the Brian McClanahan Show. Again, you're going to get great history. Hey, thanks for watching, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. It might have got a little lengthy. I think it was a lot of great information and very relevant if we want to keep this republic. As Benjamin Franklin would say, it's a republic if you can keep it. Take care.